You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Christianity actually is is the exchange of one condition for another. We talked about that last week as Jesus is our Savior. We were lost. We were separated from God. There is no capability within ourselves to be able to do what is right in God's sight. And Jesus said, hey, I will take your place. And in doing so, I will exchange my life for yours. And you're going to get a brand new condition. That's going to be reversed. So in knowing Jesus is our Savior, we realize deliverance from sin's penalty. In knowing Jesus Christ is our sanctifier, we realize deliverance from sin's power. That's, that's the main distinction we want to be able to take away with today. As our Savior, Jesus grants us freedom from eternal death and separation from God. And as our sanctifier, Jesus grants us freedom to live in the presence of God through the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit. And, and that basically is what separation from sin is, living in the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So basically it comes down to this. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's lost people, people separated from God through sin, and there's saved people, people who acknowledge Jesus Christ's death on the cross as the price sufficient to pay for their forgiveness. Now, there's lost people, there's saved people. There's also two kinds of saved people. There are carnal people, and there are spiritual people. And this is the distinction. If you're carnal, you're self-propelled, and you're going to sink. If you're spiritual, you're spirit-empowered, spirit-propelled, and that's what's going to help us to walk in this holiness that Christ died to give us. Right now, I am one of those two. At any given moment, on any given day, I'm either carnal, self-propelled, or I'm spiritual. And I think you guys can relate to that if you've been walking with Christ for a while. There's times when you can just say, like Paul, the things I know I should do, I don't do. (laughs) The things I know I shouldn't do, (laughs) here I am doing it. Uh, If you want to see me switch from one to the other, just put me behind the wheel of a car and have me drive across Rapid City. (laughs) I'm just confessing to you right there. So let's pray, and then let's see what this text has to say to us. Father, thank you again for um, the work that you're doing all across this world. And and the work that you're doing all across this world, as was testified to this morning, is is work that you've been desiring to do throughout all of history. And, and that's the work of restoring us back into the image that we were created in. The image that was ruined and destroyed, that was marred um, and disfigured by our own rebellion and sin. And Lord, thank you that um, not only did you send Christ to us to save us from the penalty of that sin, but you also sent your Son to us that we might walk in freedom from the power of that sin. Lord, we we wish that we were just superhuman right now. We wish that we were just like Jesus is right now. 
And we know that you see us that way, but we don't experience that. And Lord, we, we hunger for that. We desire for that. So we pray, just as John the Baptist declared, that there would be less of us and, and more of Jesus in our lives. Um, Father, help us to know how to put wheels on that. Um, help us to know how we, we live that out. But Lord, help us to be fully independent on you and not just in our own attempts and our own efforts because we know that won't work. So Lord, just speak to us from your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at it. Second Peter uh, chapter 1. Starts off with Peter's address to uh, to some believers. He says, Simon Peter, a, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So, so Peter's saying, I'm just writing to Christians, and, and he's also leveling the playing field because he knows he's recognized as an apostle, and he's just saying right there, there are no super Christians. Okay, there's, there's none of this distinction that some people are better Christians than other Christians. We are all on equal standing. Uh, when it comes to our faith. He says, you've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body... And, and I think we could say in this body of death that Paul described, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that my departure, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So, basically we can break this text into two parts, verses 1 through 4 and the verses 5 through 15. And in these two parts, this is what we see. We see sanctification by grace, being made holy by grace. And what that is is positional holiness through Christ's sacrifice. That means that right now in this moment, that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when God looks at you, no matter how well you walk this week, he sees you as 100% holy. 
That, that, that's something you and I cannot do. It's something that's given to us and, and something that we never deserved. And then in verses 5 through 15, we see sanctification as a process. And we might call that experiential holiness through the Spirit's indwelling. Okay? And that's where it gets dicey. That's where it gets really difficult to try to explain what sanctification is because you have this mystery, this this sort of paradox happening all at once. That right now, we are 100% holy through Jesus Christ, but yet I experience various degrees, practically, of holiness. I don't know how to bundle that up. Other than to say that's just what the scripture revealed to us is how sanctification is working in our lives. So it's both positional and experiential. It's both apprehended through faith, but yet realized as we walk by faith. So when we look at verses 1 through 4, and this is really interesting too, i got to go back to this, because uh, John the Baptist, when he, when he pointed Jesus out to his disciples, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, positional holiness, and baptizes them in the Holy Spirit, realized holiness, transitional, practiced holiness. So, from the very beginning, that's kind of how Christ was presented to us. So, if we look back at verses 1 through 4, we're going to see something here, and that is this, that we were made holy, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are made holy by God through His righteousness. We, we don't become holy our own righteousness because we don't have any. The only righteousness that we do have could be described as filthy rags. The scripture goes on to say there is no one who is righteous. There is none who does good. So we came to the floor with nothing to offer in order to be holy. So God says, I'll tell you what, I will make you holy through the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We're told in Corinthians that he is our righteousness and our sanctification. Secondly, in verse 3, it said that, that we are made holy by God's divine power. Again, you can try as hard as you want. You can just say, all right, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You can make yourself a list, but guess what? That's, you're defeating yourself because you do not have the power to keep that list. So God demonstrated his love towards us in sending his son that while we were powerless and dead in our sin to make us righteous in his sight by his power. And then we have in verse 4, God's great promises to grant to us this divine nature that we can share with him. So, the result of propitiation, which is a satisfying payment, which Jesus made on the cross, and it was vicarious, meaning he did it in our place as a substitute, brought justification, which means that God looks at us through the death of Jesus Christ as if sin had never touched us. Isn't that amazing? That's how powerful salvation is. That once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, His work on the cross in your place, repenting of our sins and seeking that forgiveness that only God can give, God then looks at us as if the fall never even happened. Isn't that amazing? Now, it'd be real easy to just sit back and coast in that, wouldn't it? I'd be like going, hey, guess what? You are now qualified to go to the Olympics. 
Oh, okay. All right, you get to do the luge. What? <laughs> no, that's not going to work. You know there's no way that if you've never been on the luge that you could just jump on that thing and do something with it. And, and that's the way it is with, with this holiness that's now been given to us. We don't just sit back. We're now supposed to somehow walk into that holiness. And that takes us into verses 5 through 15. When you look at verse 5, and then verse 10, and then verse 15 again, you're going to see that, that you and I, we have some part to play in, in this sanctification process. You know, that's why we see words like effort, diligence, and practice thrown in there. Obviously, Peter means for us to somehow be involved in the process of realizing this sanctification that's been given to us. Four times, Peter uses the word quality in the English Standard Version, and, and, and that, that, that quality is there to refer to this list that he gives to us. And uh, these qualities that he gives us can be, best be understood as manifestations of the divine nature that we are now partakers in. Uh, Paul gives a very similar list in Galatians. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. And if you read through Galatians, you know that there are fruits of the flesh, compared to fruits of the Spirit. When we're walking carnally, self-propelled, we walk in the fruits of the flesh, or we produce the fruits of the flesh. When we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, submitted to Him, then the fruits of the Spirit will be demonstrated. Now, this is how Peter lists them. He he says, first of all, there's virtue. And that's basically moral excellence. And again, none of us possess that in and of ourselves. Only Jesus Christ was perfectly morally excellent. And he says, this is, this is what one of the fruits of this divine nature is, is that you start looking like Jesus. That your life turns into his life. That, that he starts living out through you. Uh, Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me, and that by faith. I'm still trying to get my head around that one. But we know that verse starts off with something even more important. For I have crucified the flesh. See, we have to crucify the flesh so that the life of Christ can then be lived in us. He then said to that, add to your virtue knowledge. And knowledge is moral wisdom. And wisdom is basically living life skillfully or excellently. He said, add to that self-control. And that's the mastering of our desires and our passions. To that, we're to add steadfastness, which is patience and endurance in all things. Like van trips all the way down to Mexico. <laughs> or for me, just driving across Rapid City. To our steadfastness, we're to, allow, we're to add godliness. And that is an attitude of respect towards God in this context. To that, we're to add brotherly affection, which is just the fraternal kindness that we're supposed to show to our fellow human beings. Everybody gets that. But the church is the only one really empowered to do that. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, it's not just enough to be kind to one another. Add to that love. And that's that agape love. That unconditional love that God first showed towards us. And the best way that I know to define that is it's a a love with no strings attached. It's a love that says, you know what? Even if that person doesn't deserve it in my estimation, I am going to desire God's best for them. No matter. 
the personal cost to me. Let me say that one more time. That that love that we're to attain to is the kind of love that says whether we think that person deserves it or not, we desire God's best for them, no matter what it might personally cost us. Again, all of this is already embodied in Jesus Christ. It was displayed by Jesus Christ. And, and we saw it on the cross of Jesus Christ. He was pouring out his love for us when we didn't deserve it. And it cost him everything that we might experience God's best. So as Peter's laying this out, when we look back to verses 8 through 10, what we're basically saying here in this list that he's given to us and this admonition that he's been uh, giving through the entirety of this text is that our goal should be knowing Jesus Christ and knowing him, well, I don't like this word, but knowing him effectively and fruitfully. Because he uses a contrast to that. He says if we don't have these qualities, if we lack these qualities, then then something's wrong and we're not going to be increasing in our knowledge of Christ and we're going to be ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I don't think any Christian wants to be that. I don't think any of us say, no matter matter how badly beaten up we are, we don't want to be ineffective in God's kingdom. Uh, We don't want to be unfruitful in God's kingdom. But some days we feel like that, and it's only because we're starting to realize that this process of sanctification really is a war being waged in our members. So Peter says, I want to give this to you ways that you can be effective rather than idle, rather than complacent or apathetic in your spiritual life. I want to give you these things so that you can be fruitful rather than barren. You know, we can't pull any punches on that part. Because if you go back and you read the gospel, Jesus came to a fig tree that didn't have any figs on it, and he was not happy. He cursed that tree because it was unfruitful. That's pretty staunch stuff. He also, on the Sermon on the Mount, said, what good is it to have a light and then hide it under a basket? If I could paraphrase that, Jesus is saying, well, that's just stupid. Turning the light on and then covering it so it doesn't shed its light. And then he talked about salt that lost its flavor. He says, what good is salt when it no longer has any flavor? He says, it is good for nothing other than to be trampled under the feet of men. Feet of men, okay. (laughs) The foot of men. Which is basically saying, just throw it on the ice so people don't slip and fall in their keister. See, Jesus means for Christians to bear fruit and not be barren. He means for his followers to cast light that glorify his Father who is in heaven. And he means for us to be salt, that we're bringing some kind of flavor into this world that people get thirsty for and hungry for. So how do we do that? Well, first we've got to remember that sanctification being made holy is not solely dependent upon our own efforts. But yet at the same time, Peter wants us to be absolutely certain of something. He said this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now notice he didn't say, be diligent to obey this rule, or to, to complete this task, or, or, or to check off your checklist of holiness. He said, be diligent, and the Greek word that's used there means to give your all, absolute surrender to confirming your calling and your choosing. 
Because he says if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Now, practice is the word that really throws us there. Because again, it's, it's, it, it's, we get the idea that somehow it's up to me now. I, I've got to do this. So, so, you know, Jesus saved me and then he put wheels on me and then he pushed me down the hill and said, okay, be holy. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not it at all. The word practice here means to allow to be born in you. Allow these qualities to be born in you. And the only way they can be born or produced in us is through the Holy Spirit. Because we don't have it in ourselves. So, what do we do? We get filled. And that's a, that's a problematic thing too. We go to Ephesians chapter 5.18 and it's told to us by the Apostle Paul, don't get drunk with wine, that leads to ruin, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we tend to think that it's some kind of a qualitative term that's being used here, that, that somehow I need to get more of the Holy Spirit in me. Okay, here I am, give me some more. Well, that doesn't work, because see, this is what happens. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you get all of the Holy Spirit then. He doesn't say, okay, I'm just going to give you a little bit now, and when I think you're worthy, I'm going to pour a little bit more of myself into you, or when you finally get things figured out, then I'm going to really dump into you. No, it's a once and for all, boom, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So then what does Paul mean when he says, be filled? Be filled. Well, in that context, remember what he said, don't be drunk with wine. It means don't be full of wine. Don't be controlled by wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, when I'm having those days, when I'm sinking, instead of walking on water, what I realize, or should realize in that moment is, not that I need more of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit needs more of me. That there's something in me that I'm depending on rather than him to accomplish the task. So filling is just a realization of I need more control of the Holy Spirit in an area of my life that I've not allowed him to have. And that's how we grow into sanctification. Now Paul said this to the Corinthians And this is what we know about the church in Corinth, is that they were a collection of flesh-propelled believers. That somewhere along the the way they lost their way, and and they were just living according to their own rules. They they were making up Christianity uh, as they went, so to speak, and they were thinking it was all up to us to do this. And if you've ever read Corinthians, you know that church has some real serious problems going on in there. And they didn't like what Paul said to them when he called them on the carpet for it. So they started saying, well, you're not even a real apostle. And so Paul wrote Second Corinthians to basically say, here's how I passed the test of being a real apostle. Okay, And he says, I know it sounds foolish that I have to do it, but I'm doing it. And so he demonstrates, yes, he's definitely an apostle. And then he, he, he closes that letter to these Corinthians with this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Does that echo something that Peter just said? Be diligent to confirm. Make sure that you started the journey and that you're on the road with Jesus as you ought to be. 
So here's how Peter wraps it up. He says, don't take this lightly. Understand that sanctification, being made holy, is something that's given to you through the death of Jesus Christ. It's part of his saving in us. But because we still walk around in this body of death, it's going to be a battle and it's going to be a war. So pursue these qualities. Be diligent to allow them to be born into you. If you're lacking them in any way, take that as a sign from God that you've got to stop and drop right where you're at and say, help. Help me, Lord. Because I'm sinking here. So, Peter says, I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. And he says, I will make every effort in my own part to help you to do that. So he's saying that there's going to be various crises of sanctification. Uh, I just like to say crises of sanctification because that's Brian's term. I like to use there's, there's various points where you're going to be walking on water and various points where you're not. Okay? And those things are going to happen in the life of every single Christian. And so what Peter wanted to do was to send a reminder. And, and, and that word there, reminder, means kind of a, a waking up of the mind. And I was trying to I was trying to encapsulate what the Greek term that was used there really meant, and this is the best I could come up with. It's like Peter wanted to send a T-Rex right into the midst of our apathy and just start kicking it around. He, he doesn't want to pull any punches with this. He uses some pretty strong language to say, don't just coast in your life with Christ. Don't just sit back and think that all of a sudden it's just all going to happen. It's just no, realize that you have entered into a struggle. And it's going to be a process. I think we sometimes get a picture in our head of spiritual growth being on a chart, you know. And you kind of start down here, and hopefully as you proceed through your life walking through Jesus Christ, you're going to you know, gradually go upwards. Oh, there's going to probably be some bad days. But you get back up and, and, and you go upwards again. Eh, there's going to be another one of those. And back. But, you know, valleys and peaks, but steadily increasing up. That, that you can't chart spiritual growth. Because it goes all sideways and wonky and explodes into a million directions all at once. It's just, it's just all over the place. If you think about it, you know, most of us as Christians, if we were honest, if we came to church every Sunday and dropped our masks and everything, we would say, I am all over the place. I am a hot mess, spiritually. And all I can do is say, Lord, help. Help. When Paul said, or when Peter said that he would soon be putting off his body, as I said, he was speaking about this wretched body of death that Paul experienced. And Peter was right there with Paul. He says, I get what he's saying. There are plenty of days where I really blew it as a Christian. There was even a time when the Apostle Paul had to get in my face about my practice as a Christian. And, and, and there's no one that's done it right 100% of the time all the way. And, and Peter knew it too. And I think he was actually at a point where he's saying, man, I can't wait to be free of this thing. I can't wait to be free of this war that's constantly being fought out every day I get up. This is the best picture I can give you for the flesh. 
Okay, and, and this might explain why we struggle as Christians. Why do we keep falling in to some of the old habits that Jesus died to save us from? Why do certain thoughts that we know we shouldn't have pop into our head and take control? Why do certain words come out of our mouths when we know those weren't the, the words that Jesus himself would use? Why does this happen? Well, the picture is, is of an elephant. They, they don't do this anymore, but they used to have elephants in the circus. And I can remember going to a circus one time, and I, I think elephants are cool. Uh, you know, if I believe in reincarnation, I'd want to be an elephant. That's how cool I think they are. And I went to check out the elephants, and I learned a couple things. One, they poop a lot, yeah. uh, which has nothing. Well, it could have something to do with this. Sometimes we kind of do that a lot in our, in our spiritual lives. But the second thing was this, is that, that before they came out and to do their show, all these elephants were just kind of in one spot, as docile and as calm as could be, with a simple little rope tied around one foot. That's it. And I'm looking at my, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking that elephant is tough enough to break that rope. And so, in speaking to the keepers there, I said, "How does that work?" And they said, "Oh, it, it's simple. They started off in chains, chains they could not break, chains that tore their legs up if they resisted. And slowly through life, they got conditioned to that resistance." To the point where we could work it down to a simple little rope. Oh yeah, they could break that rope in a heartbeat, but you see, they're so conditioned that once they feel the resistance, they stop. And that's the flesh. It is so conditioned by sin that even though we, we've been saved from it, that in the penalty of it, we allow that conditioning to have power over us as Christians. And here's the main point of Jesus being our sanctifier. He says, hey, remember this. It's just a rope. It's just a rope. And you can snap it anytime you choose to do so. So Christian, if you feel like sin's got you beat up, if you feel like there's one habit that just seems to keep beating you down and and, and, and making you feel like garbage in God's eyes or something. Remember this, first of all. Positionally, you are not garbage in God's eyes. You're his child. And you are made holy. And secondly, realize this. The thing that you think that has so much power over you is just a rope. And the Holy Spirit can snap it in an instant. So, in making every effort, what Peter was saying there of himself and ourselves is that we should contribute earnest interest and diligence towards effecting a change. And and this is where it gets hard. Because again, we don't make the change happen. It's not in our power, it's not in our strength, but yet we're a part of the change happening. Well, how do we do this? How do I... How do I get filled with that Holy Spirit that could snap that that rope so easily? Well, it comes down to this. First thing you got to do is give up. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus as your sanctifier. Realizing you can't make yourself 
holy any more than you could save yourself from your sins. That just as you needed Jesus to die on a cross to pay for your sins and set you free from the penalty of them, you just as much need Jesus to keep you walking in holiness. One thing I've learned is being a Christian for 35 years is that I need His grace more today than when I first met Him. Every day, I'm dependent upon Jesus to overpower me. The second thing is accept Jesus as your sanctifier. We talk about accepting Jesus as our Savior a lot, don't we? But we very rarely talk in the church about, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your sanctifier. In Colossians 2.6, it says this, it says, in, in the same manner that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, so walk in Him. Well, how do we receive Jesus? By faith, through grace. So how do we walk with Jesus? By faith, through grace. And all that is, is it's a simple acknowledgement that, that Jesus is the one who's, who's going to help me. Jesus is the one who's going to lift me up when I sink. I just have to realize when I'm sinking. Well, how do we do that? We do that by abiding in Jesus as our sanctifier. I have nothing new to give you here. It's the same old recipe. It's what we've had since the, well, since the beginning. And it's as simple as this. We have to remain in the disciplines that feed our relationship with Christ. If we're not feeding our relationship with Christ, we're going to realize this holiness. We're not going to grow into this Christ-likeness that He died to give to us. So what are these disciplines? Well, they're this. Number one, repent. Repentance isn't a one-time act. It's a continual act. In fact, let me go back to that term, filling of the Holy Spirit. Filling, as, as Paul wrote it, didn't mean just do it once. The, the Greek word that's used there means continually, always. It means all of our life we have to fill or be filled by the Holy Spirit. All of our life we're stepping into repentance. As, as soon as we have that moment where we're sinking into the water instead of walking on it, that's our moment to say, Lord, I'm not where I ought to be. Save me. Help me. The second thing is obedience to the Word. We won't know how to walk into sanctification if we're not reading about it. If, if we're just trying to make it up as we go, well, then we're no different than the Corinthians. And we're going to be carnal, flesh-propelled instead of spirit-propelled. And every single one of us need to be in this constantly. Not just to study it, to get knowledge, to answer all the questions, but to study it, to know God. So that we know His heart. And we realize when we're not living His heart. The third thing is to be devoted to prayer. Because sanctification is supernatural. And nothing supernatural happens apart from prayer. I got real convicted, you know, when I looked at my prayer list a few years ago. And my prayer list were all these these things that I wanted. 
And, and don't get me wrong, I thought they were good things. I mean, I was praying for people to be healed and, and, and stuff like that. Praying for provision of missionaries and, and praying for our pastors and our churches. Good things to be praying for. But what I realized that as I looked at my list, that there was very little prayer for myself to walk in holiness. And, and that's not selfish. That's Christ-like to say, Lord, help me to walk in the holiness that Jesus Christ died to give me. The fourth thing to do is this. Continue in community. It means this thing here. And not just within these four walls, but outside these four walls. It means walking with other Christians. Hanging out with other Christians. And community is when you really let other people into your life. And they let you into their life as well. Because you see, none of us can do this alone. We need encouragement. Sometimes we need a swift kick in the tuchus. That's what community gives to us. That's why God said, come together and be a family. Because it's as a family that we learn how to walk in holiness. It's not by ourselves. And the fifth step... It's the same one on your shampoo bottle. Lather, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Meaning it's it's not just a one-time thing. It's constant and it's continual. This, This cleansing that I need every day to rid me of the stink of this body of death, uh, I can only find in Christ and the presence of His Holy Spirit. And I want Him to have more of me so that the world gets less of me. Let's pray. Jesus, this is such a it's such a tough thing. I mean, it would have been cool if if the moment we realized that you died for our sins and our our need for forgiveness, the moment that your spirit convicted us to 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 acknowledge our need for you and to express through the faith that, that you give to us as a gift, a desire to walk with you, that you would have just popped us right into heaven. Sure would have made things a whole lot easier. But that's not your plan, and it's not your passion. Um, Lord, more and more as I've been reading your word, I realize that your your plan and your passion is for all the world to know. What your name is and what your glory looks like. And even though you don't need us to do that, Lord, you have chosen to invite us as your children to be a part of that plan and a part of that passion that you have. Lord, someday, as it was mentioned in Revelation, there's going to there's come a, a day when every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to stand before you. So, Lord, help us to realize that you left us here as your saved kids to walk into holiness. To not only be free of the penalty of sin, to not only get that that ticket out of hell, so to speak, but also to walk in life with you. And in the hopes, Lord, that, that somehow people see Jesus in us. 
And in seeing Jesus, they come to know who you are. They learn your name and they see your glory. So Lord, help us. Because most of the time, instead of walking on the water, we're sinking in it. And we do not want to be flavorless salt. We do not want to be a fig tree that bears no fruit when Jesus comes looking for it. We do not want to be a light that's been hidden. So Lord, you know us and you know where our weaknesses are. Help us. Lord, we want to know you not only as our Savior, but as our sanctifier. The one who enables us to be holy as you are holy. So Lord, we're not talking about being all super religious or, you know, expert Christians or that kind of thing. We just simply want to know what it means to have the life of Jesus lived out in us. And that by faith. So increase our faith. And help us, Lord, to go forth into this world, leaving traces of your holiness behind. Not to make ourselves look good, or to draw more people into the church, but just so that people will come to know your name and see your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.